are you telling me this, George? Because I want you to possibly do me a favor. Okay, yeah, what? Kill me. What? Nobody knows we know each other. You're a stranger. You can get away with this. I got a gun in the other room. It's untraceable. I'll give you $50,000. Don't make me suffer. Please, kill me, Ira. I'm begging you. Can you at least give me like a night to think about it? Ha! Think about it! You would do it! Oh, I hate you, man. Oh, no! Ira, I misread you. You're sick. You're a murderer! Oh, you wanted to do it! Oh, man. What would you have done for $100,000? Chop my head off? Welcome to Bad Movie Brunch with me, Luke, here in Chicago. And me, Katie, here in Los Angeles. And who else? Robert Riley. Robert Riley. <laughs> Katie, we have a guest, and it's not Jake Weisman this time. I know. How you doing, Robbie? I'm doing okay. I'm doing doing decent, as they'd say. We went mm-hmm. to DePaul with Robert. He's a prodigy. He's a screenwriting fucking maven. He's Man. a <laughs> God. That is the herpes simplex two of my <laughs> reputation, isn't it? Screenwriting. He's. I mean, I don't know. His script got distinction. <laughs> oh God. From his thesis committee. <laughs> Here we go, Robert. Not, the Robert, n- the distinction guy. Katie's got distinction. I know. Katie also for a better <laughs> script. I'd say. Mine didn't. Um, so, Katie, too. <laughs> Katie, what are we talking about this week? Today we're talking about the Judd Apatow uh, dramedy, Funny People, from 2009. I picked this because, um, without looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score, and I know that's usually kind of our barometer for this show, but I picked it because, in my memory, when this came out, I felt like I had to, like, adamantly defend it against people. I feel like that, uh, I mean, first of all, maybe it was the age I was. I, this was a rated R movie and I wasn't even old enough to go see it. I had to like buy a ticket for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and like sneak into funny people <laughs> to put it in context of how long ago this actually is. I mean, this movie's almost 10 years old. And uh, the big thing I got from like people around me, mostly in my friend group and stuff, aside from like the people that, um, you know, kind of got the movie was, it's called funny people and it's not funny. And I'm like, you dumb fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I, I know, I know when you see a movie from Judd Apatow following, you know, 40 old virgin knocked up, like, you know, his work on anchorman, like the dude has been around doing the funniest shit, you know, of all time. He was a, he was a Titan of comedy. And then your leads are Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler. Finally, like that time, Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen did a movie together. You'd expect it with a title, like funny people to be funny, but that's the fucking point. Uh, and I felt like I got in arguments like all the time about it. Did you watch it when it came out? Uh, yeah, actually, I did. And what do you think? I I thought it was bad then. I don't think it's bad now. <laughs> okay, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That'll make for a good episode because I still think it's yeah. fucking good. I think it's really really good. Um, with obvious flaws, and uh, I would love to dig into it. Robbie, give me your background on the flick. I didn't see it. I saw it last night for the first time. I'm a big Apatow fan. Uh, I was a fan of Apatow before I even knew who he was. Right. Doing uncredited rewrites on stuff like The Cable Guy. and like, I think he did Happy Gilmore, like an uncredited, super low-key rewrite on that. Yeah, he met Leslie Mann on The Cable Guy. Yeah, man. Uh, I, and Heavyweights, of course. I mean, but, goes without saying. I mean, his humor was a very, very integral part on the formation of my humor. Like, I saw... Forty uh, year old virgin, mm-hmm. very, probably too young of an no, age. No, that was like the middle school sleepover movie. Oh, like yeah. if you could get your mom to rent Forty Year Old oh, Virgin. Yeah, and then knocked up, and then all of the sort of offshoots 
that came off of that. Uh, the Apatow tree, if you will. Mm. I've seen all of them. I love the comedy. I love the brand. And But I never did see this. The branches are wild, too, of like the Apatow uh, brand. Because uh, the reason I was really inspired to talk about this flick, um, despite its, you know, high 60s Rotten Tomatoes score from critics, um, the audience score is fairly low. Um, which actually has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. I don't know why I said that. Um, but there was A and E has been doing this like documentary series called Culture Shock, and the fourth episode they did this past week was an hour long doc on Freaks and Geeks. Mm. And Freaks and Geeks, um, it's not a hot take uh, by me, you know, by any means, but it's one of the best shows ever made, uh, largely because it um, deals with uh, high school through a realistic lens. Like these kids don't win very often if ever like there's a lot of that's all about moral victories you're not you're not always going to be the star like they were on, they were on tv at a time competing against like 90210 and like these like fictionalized 30 year old like high school like high schoolers that are all fucking hot and you know <laughs> doing drugs and like stuff like that and these kids were just the freaks and the geeks they were just like the the low of the low and it was a, it was a pretty hard drama at times uh, and funny people is kind of a resurgence of that. So when it jarred a lot of people, it's like, no, that's been in, the, in Judd's DNA. It's been there. And like, this is probably the most mature movie he's ever made. I mean, this is 40 after it is pretty mature and it gets real, just like all his movies kind of get real. Hmm. But funny people, I think goes places, um, that, uh, he's never gone before and hasn't gone since maybe he never will again. Um, it would be, it's it would be especially interesting to see a movie like this after uh, the death of Gary Shandling, uh, who is featured pretty pretty uh, not so subtly in this movie. I think I think there's a lot of like Gary Shandling in the background and Judd uh, worked for him. And I was I was watching this movie with Jake Wiseman last night, and he speculated that uh, much of it might have been based on uh, uh, his relationship with Gary Shandling. Judd being Seth Rogen, Adam Sandler, the famous comedian, being uh, Gary Shandling. Mm-hmm. Um, but Katie, enough about this. What do you like about it? <laughs> what didn't I like about it? Yeah, I want to know what you don't like about it. I think that it was trying to connect on an emotional level and show the hollowness of fame, but it didn't achieve what it set out to do. Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. I felt. I feel like this is a very hollow movie. <sighs> I think I it came agree. from a very real place, but I think that it really missed the mark on trying to communicate how what you think is going to make you happy doesn't. And that includes either becoming a famous comedian or finally getting the girl that got away. Mm, I hear you. I just didn't feel it. I agree with you, Katie. I think all of those problems that you just mentioned, I think they come about in the third act for me, at least. It takes a while to get to the third act too, which is a big problem on my end. If if I'm going to talk about the other thing, this uh, this movie is uh, 146 minutes. (laughs) Katie, are you telling me you don't want to watch a two and a half hour dramedy? I, not if it's not Victor Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Victor Frankenstein should have been 80 minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but but honestly, in terms of runtime, you're right. I agree. That was my, honestly my biggest thing. I've probably seen this movie like 30 times. I love it. I quote it almost daily. It's one of my favorites. And, you know, long before I was like sucking the teat of like Kevin Smith and Richard Linklater and like all these like, you know, very important uh, screenwriters and directors and filmmakers to me, Judd Apatow was like, my lone pillar and like hero for like many years. So I was like bathing in this and this movie was like everything I was looking for at the time, especially because it didn't feel hollow to me. Uh, the 16 year old Luke, it felt like as real and as awesome as a movie could be. 
uh, going back with this lens and getting to watch it, uh, I mean, we'll say academically for the sake of bad movie brunch, uh, the the fundamental problem I have with it, and it, while it is only one real problem, it's a big problem. Uh, there's two movies. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. There's absolutely two movies. So the first movie is awesome. And it's the idea of this very meta story of Adam Sandler basically playing himself in George Simmons, like this guy who's, uh, you know, came up with his friends as a comedian and he got it all and he was the big star. And in, in exchange for that, he alienated his family. He uh, he alienated um, the former love of his life. And with all the money and all the fame in the world, he's just alone. And we the inciting incident of this flick, or is even the hook, like it's off the bat, he's like, boom, you got cancer. And like the way they do it is actually really smart. Like him walking into a place like, oh, I'm famous. Let's take pictures. And then like getting the diagnosis and like panning up to like pictures of the doctor's family and stuff. Mm. And then him walking out all sad. I think like there are moves like that in this movie that are so fucking good to me that I'm like, Jesus. But the idea of this comedian now has cancer, a very rare form of cancer that is probably incurable, uh, has to come to terms with life, death, all in the, like the span of like you know a few days, and hires some young upstart uh, comedian to come with them and live the life and write jokes for him and sort of be his assistant. That movie rocks. Now, I think there's a world where you kind of sift out all this shit, and if you do the 90-minute version of Funny People where that's the main storyline, I, th- I, I truly, truly believe this movie would have been regarded as one of one of the like modern classics in cinema like i think that this movie would like i think judd apatow's career would be fundamentally different uh at following 09 if this movie did that but the problem is uh, he doesn't he box at it you know what i mean like we get adam sandler gets cured at the midpoint which is mm-hmm. a mistake in my opinion i mean what do you think robbie uh he should have died i couldn't agree more. I think you kill this bastard. I think that, like, the whole point is, like, the realization of, uh, you know, coming back to Earth and being like, well, fuck, I got all this and I didn't even appreciate it and I didn't appreciate any things I had. And you know what? I may have a minute to do that, but it would have been a nice, like, it would have been a nice, like, you know, commentary on the fact of the fact of life and death is, well, even if you realize it, it doesn't mean you're not going to die. And he just does. And, you know, the third act is him dying. Mm-hmm. What about you, Strawberry? I would like that, too. I think that what... Apatow is probably going for is that like oh there's a lot of these movies where terrible people realize that they've been terrible and have to like fix their terribleness and I think that he was kind of pushing against that and being like what happens if you don't have the easy way out of death anymore I do think he still should have died but I think that's what Apatow was trying to do was trying to do the what if the guy who's actually trying to fix himself because he's dying gets better it was like the anti-Christmas Carol, if you will, anti-Scrooge, you know, like what yeah, if we followed so. Scrooge after, you know, the Merry Christmas, everyone, you know. Dude, it is so weird. This is the shit. When I ran into Robbie this morning, the stuff he's saying is exactly the shit I was saying, because I was like, yes, he should have died. I was also like, oh, yeah, it's like a Christmas Carol. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, this is like Scrooge who gets to actually live it and like, you know, see it. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I, I like everything that happens in like the first half of the movie i really do like i love seeing like the the different perspectives like seeing seth rogan playing in my opinion the least seth rogan role he's ever played Mm. um where i think that like while his character is 
kind of nothing as a character. There's not a lot of latch on. It's mostly just a, oh, I'm awkward, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to be a comedian. And, oh, 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 yeah, it's my, like a Michael Sarah uh, kind of my, character. Whoa, it is. It is Seth Rogen doing Michael Sarah. It's like, my friends are really famous. Oh, oh, oh. And like... <laughs> um, I like it. I like it a lot, and uh, it's it's you know it reeks of Apatow, um, but the serious moments are, uh, I think at least in the first half when they're not worn out yet, they land really hard. Like here's a guy who's like dying. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like at, like, and I think it's sort of grotesque at times to like the the images they use of uh, Sandler like all purple eyed and mm-hmm. like pale and like it's it, it's really jarring. Yeah. See, that's really interesting because. I, when I first switched this on, within like the first five seconds, I was like, oh God, this is rougher than I remember. When they have him doing that montage of pranks I, at the very beginning I, I, of like these home movies. I appreciate your, your suggestion, <laughs> but I love roast beef. Oh God, I could barely get through it. I was Are like, you oh, kidding? This is, this is over two hours of movies. That's the funniest that shit. That was really rough to shoot through. And also, I feel like we didn't see him sick enough. Get off of me. <laughs> it was really difficult to connect with him emotionally because he, I mean, he looked empty, but he didn't, we didn't see him vulnerable in his sickness as much as I think we should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, and, you know, agreed, because like I said, like the whole movie should, I mean, you you should not cure this dude at the midpoint like the middle of the movie mm-hmm. shouldn't be him being like oh i got my second chance and i think that like maybe part of it is like avatar like consistently throughout the this plot doing the thing i don't expect which is cool mm-hmm. but sometimes just do what i expect man like you know what i mean like just just do yeah. it crush it see i really like that opening montage it actually I made love me it. it made me really emotional <laughs> but i i thought it it looking back on it it's kind of like a red herring because i thought that would be end up being like a touchstone for the rest of the movie like right. You know, here's back in the days when like you were being funny because it was fun to be funny. Now you're just like, what the hell happened to you? Like yeah. you're selling out. You're making these movies where you're you got your head superimposed on a baby's body. <laughs> you're a merman now. It's like, what happened to you, dude? Hello, I have no legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Too. I thought it was so fucking funny. Well, because it's like he it's like him and Stiller, right? Yeah, man. And like Judd Apatow filming and Garofalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I think it's good, but I mean, it's I, I think it's like it adds to like the meta thing. But you know, I remember watching this movie in the theater and being like, "Whew, this is a <laughs> this is a long flick." Yeah. And like, I think all of the like, I think all of the Apatow disciples have learned from that too. Uh, I remember, w- I mean, forgetting Sarah Marshall is one of my favorite movies ever made, and that's you know got Apatow DNA all over it with Siegel being like the lead and writing the script and everything. And that is an overly long comedy. This dude introduced to the mainstream the two-hour and 15-minute comedy because pretty much all of his flicks are. Hmm. Um, and it's not as tough when you're sitting in a, your apartment drinking beer and watching it. I got to be honest. <laughs> I'm sitting there appreciating like the movie in 10-minute segments and going, fuck, this is like way better. I'm like, why did I even do this for the podcast? This movie rocks. <laughs> like, You know what I mean? Like, And I fall into it a lot. I think a lot of it maybe is the nostalgia for the flick, um, and I can't. I can't even, you know, deny that. I absolutely have a lot of nostalgia for this flick and this time and what it was like to have, like, Apatow, you know, just fucking throwing heat in the mid to, in, the, like, the, I don't know, what would you call it, the, the almost 2010s? <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost. Like, 07 through fucking, or, like, 05 through, like, 10, he was really crushing. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's the thing. So, Ira Wright, Seth Rogen's character, gets handed a gig to write 
jokes for Adam Sandler or for George Simmons. And uh, one of his only like actual character moments is him being a prick. Like, you know what I mean? Like him stealing the gig away from Jonah Hill as his roommate, <laughs> Leo, triple XL version of himself, <laughs> as George Simmons put it. Um, Jesus. Um, I also like the fuck you to like uh, network TV. Like, Ju- like Judd Apatow has <laughs> had two shows canceled within a season on like Fox and on uh, uh, NBC, I believe, for Freaks and Geeks. And so, like, when they show Jason Schwartzman like and his TV show Yo Teach, <laughs> it's just like this is the stuff people like, and it's whatever. Hey, Bo Burnham's on it. Bo is on it. <laughs> the, especially they even call him Bo, which I think is a stroke of genius. Especially oh, yeah. relevant with with uh, this week. Like this is the second week. Uh, it's like more of a wide release for eighth grade. The movie Bo wrote and directed. I already saw it at a film festival because I'm a fucking <laughs> film critic. No, I'm not. Um, but uh, it's an excellent film, and it's especially like especially to have him on there like in 09 as Bo. Like there's even that moment at the Thanksgiving dinner where you like it, it, you take time out of the movie to have him introduced and be like oh i'm Bo." it's like george simmons it's so <laughs> weird but it's like jenna Patel has this eye for like young talent like like the likes of which we've never seen it's unbelievable because i mean they they helped handpick pretty much everybody on freaks and geeks they're all stars pretty much everybody on undeclared is stars uh i mean fucking charlie hunnam for christ's sake mm-hmm. you know what i mean and uh also does anybody else remember this i know i've been rambly but do you remember reading an article like when we were in like early high school, late I would say early high school, um, where Judd had hired Bo to write a, a comedy musical uh, that was supposed to be the anti high school musical? Because that was like in oh, yeah. that I was in like twenty ten, and I was like waiting feverishly for it, and it just never happened. Oh my god, that would have like, been amazing. It would have been especially because I love High School Musical. We should <laughs> do that at some point. Oh I, oh, I mean, we should do the trilogy. <laughs> we should. Except for one is very good, and I have I'll have trouble saying bad things about it. It was the best because it's the worst. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. All right, so plot one, I like it. It's good, and you know we can talk about the the minutia of it later on. Let's talk about the actual problem. You know what I mean? So there, Leslie Mann is the lost love of George Simmons' life. And uh, you get, like, sprinkles of it with never actually having her, like, um, sharing the screen with them. Like, she has the phone call, and she has, like, he's looking at her reel and stuff like that. And I think the move is to never actually introduce her into the movie. Like, the move is to just, like, have that as, like, another fuck-up in his life. And then if you have finally hit the 90-minute mark where he's dead, if you write this movie, like, the right way, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that, that holds some gravity. The problem is, like... You know, they um they delve back into that relationship a little bit. She's a married woman now. Uh, they split years ago because George Simmons cheated on her, and now she's with Eric Bana, who's just Australian version of of George Simmons. <laughs> uh, she, she's married with kids and just getting cheated on by her husband and stuff too. Um, what is there, if anything, in either of your opinion, is there anything that works for you in this subplot? <laughs> Radio silence. <laughs> I like Eric Bana. He's funny. He's very funny. He's funny. Here's what I will say about it. And again, this is insight coming from afar because I was watching it with Jake last night and, you know, he was trying to be devil's advocate with me because I'm like, this movie's great. You know what I mean? Is like, while I don't think it's um, what we wanted, seeing him go back and explore the, uh, the casket on a dead relationship and sort of uh, explore... 
um, you know, what could have been with like, you know, the, the the lost love. I mean, how often in your life do you get to cheat death and like give like, you know, your greatest, uh, you know, your greatest mistake another crack? That's cool. That's a cool concept. So I'll fight for that a little bit. And th- how just miserably it fails. Uh, like, I mean, these people f- realize that fuck, we're just not those people anymore. Mm -hmm. And you are not the same guy, and I am certainly not the same woman. And while we had that relationship when we were 20 or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Like, we were kids, and, like, I... They were never right for each other, though. That was, like, the whole thing. For sure. Like, you gotta let sleeping dogs lie. For sure. And she married a man. Like, the, the fact of the matter is, however long they dated holds nothing to a man that you spent your life with you know what i mean like mm-hmm. eric banna has been her husband they've had children together they've lived in a home like they've spent every like, you know they spend almost every day together like that that relationship is so much more real and so much more mature than uh this sort of like fleeting like flirtation that these two have just you know steeped in their nostalgia of what used to be you know what it reminded me of what's that reminded me of the end of castaway where tom hanks comes back to helen hunt's house yeah uh and they realize like shit we can't be together because she has kids now but but for like 40 minutes yeah (laughs) fuck you're right or like uh or what about like pearl harbor when affleck isn't dead and he comes back and like and like punches that dude in the face at that cool tiki bar for like 90 minutes yeah Pearl Harbor is good. Oh, man. I remember Pearl Harbor a lot better than I do. Uh, you have no clue how much I used to watch Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like a kid, uh, my brother had like the, it was a two VHSer. It was one of those two tapes. It was so long. And I was like, cool movie. And like, uh, we, wa- we watched the shit out of it. That's how you knew it was good. Yeah, cool movie. <laughs> Braveheart has two tapes and it's pretty good. Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I assume every Godfather? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, good Michael Shannon cameo in that, by the way. But I, I agree with you in that it's like the movie doesn't steer into the skid of its premise, which is this is about a comedian dying, trying to reconcile every mistake he's made with his career. Right. You know, and it's like it goes on to like, well, this is a huge mistake he's made in his life in the form of Leslie Mann. But I, and it, it felt a little bit like a waste of time. It know, is. Where it's like, yeah, obviously you're not going to get back together. Right. <laughs> this is not going to happen. And... Sounding like the world's biggest prick for a second, because I never want to be this guy because I would never want to like detract from like my fucking heroes. And I know Judd Apatow would roast me. <laughs> like I mean, like this dude would crush me in a battle of wits. I, w- I would I would show up unarmed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but this may have been the most gratuitous use of his family in a film. Like, really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, they're there and knocked up and it's good. Mm-hmm. It works, it fits. This is 40, I think it works because those are the characters. But this is, you know, taking a steaming, like a, like a, like a steaming train to a complete halt mm-hmm. and just being like, no, we're doing this movie now. And here's Leslie Mann and here's my two kids. Here's my wife and kids on film and like watch him act and be in this movie. And it's just like, just make that a different movie. It's a short film within a film. It's mm-hmm. so weird. It's a companion piece. It is a companion piece. And like, again, sitting in my apartment drinking PBR, <laughs> it didn't last as long as I remember it lasting. Um, and I think it also helps when you're watching it with people. Because, you know, you can talk the whole time and you're not just, like, silent watching this uh, overly long film. <laughs> but I don't know. I I don't know, man. <laughs> How, what are your guys' opinions on the depiction of women in this film? Um, Katie, Katie, you go first. It's you're a woman. It's all bad. Mm-hmm. See, I wrote a note that was it was a depiction of women, frowny face. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up, Robbie. And for me, it... it it the Leslie Mann character was not 
the best, but for me, it really bugged me with the Aubrey Plaza the, character. The Aubrey Plaza thing, that whole arc is is so 2009. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the only way I can put it. Like, and it was another thing I was thinking about last night where I'm like, man, when I was 16 watching this movie and there's like the three dude bro roommates <laughs> and they're like, hey man, if you're not going to fuck this girl in 10 days, I'm going to fuck her. And it's like, hey, don't make me fuck this girl. I've seen I, him do it. Cause I, I, it's true. <laughs> I've seen him do it. It's like, I'll fuck her. And it's like, I, admittedly, when I was 16 and hadn't seen any part of the world and like lived like like and you know playing high school football and shit i'm like yeah that's that's as real as relationships get i was like you know what i mean i was like shit man stop seth rogan's a nice guy and it's like he's really not like you know what Mm. i mean and like he he does this very problematic thing where he just like lays claim to women without having the courage to even like speak with them and he thinks like that like he has like say and what they do with their bodies and like like Mm. you know like no i called dibs and it's like he can't call dibs on every girl and it's like fuck guys I don't want to see this in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not good. What I mean, What do you think, Katie? She's mousy, but like a mouse you want to put your dick in. Yeah, like a mouse Eesh. you want to fuck. <laughs> that, was, that was bad. I didn't appreciate that at no. all. Um, I, it, it's just, I think that there's a bit of trying to eat your, like trying to uh, have your cake and eat it too. And that they're able to say these things and lay claim to Aubrey Plaza and also have her kind of call, uh, Ira Seth Rogen out on it. Yeah, you're but right. It still felt really false. You're right. No, because there's like the one moment where she's kind of like, "Yo, I'm an I'm an independent woman. Like I can fuck people. Like you know what I mean? It's like that's true. But it even you're right. It does still feel like kind of like a soft response to like these like really aggressive guys. Like even mm-hmm. Ira, who doesn't think he's being aggressive, he's just being he may be ineffectual, but he's not not aggressive in the way he views like uh, his relationship with women for sure. Her whole character is lady comedian, sourpuss lady comedian. Not even sourpuss, just kind of like... Uh, Droll. Like, what's the term? Um, monotone. Mm-hmm. Monotone, cool. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, that, that whole added layer of conflict between the three of them, the roommates. Well, specifically between Schwartzman and Rogan. I didn't think it was there, because I thought the Yo Teach conflict was so funny. It was, it was, it absolutely was. Um... And, and but like staying on relationships for a second, mm-hmm. like you know when we go to uh, when they go to Northern California and uh, Luke, you have a call. Oh my God, there's a phone ringing in here. Should <laughs> I answer it? Here we go. Tom, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Please stop. Please it's, stop. Please it's stop. Ab- it's Judd Apatow. He's like, hey asshole. <laughs> I gonna, saw what you said. He's gonna lay into you like he did to Tommy Wiseau. Oh and God, disaster artist. he would, dude. <laughs> what does he say? Oh, you God. will never. Wait, he just like talks so much shit, and he's there with not in a not million years. But <laughs> but after that, oh my God! <laughs> did That's you so see? Sad. Did you see Disaster Artist Katie while we talk over this phone call? <laughs> Should I just say block all? No, because I don't want Katie's call. Oh, Tom better cut this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> did I lose you, Strawberry? Or is, is it Katie calling me? I don't know. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> what happened? Oh, never mind, Tom. Leave this in. Katie? Hello? <laughs> oh, my word. What the hell happened? <laughs> that we had the phone ringing. We are like, what the fuck? Y- Tom, leave this in. This is funny. Yes. <laughs> Did you hang up on us? No. The call dropped. We were sitting here like, like, who's calling us? And then I realized me and me and this other meathead were the only ones talking. Oh, we man. were being Seth Rogen and Jason Schwartzman. It was so and sad. And you were being Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> 
Oh, dear. But in other terms of relationships in this movie that made me uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we're finally, when we're back in like Northern California at Leslie Mann's house, uh, right after like Adam Sandler's like decided to have Ira tell her that's like, oh, he's not dying anymore. And like, he's kind of manipulated you a little bit into like feeling old feelings for him, even though you used to hate him. Uh, they do the thing where her husband's out of town and they like, oh, we're going to just get stuff, get groceries to make dinner. And they sneak off to like the guest house and like, it's fine. But it makes me, like, really feel weird. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's them just, like, her just basically, like, talking about how she doesn't like her husband and how she loved him. And he's just, like, playing into it because it just makes him feel good, I think. I think for once in his life, he wants somebody that, like, used to actually make him feel good from, like, emotions and not feel good from, like, giving him money and stuff and, like, being yes-men. And, like, that's nice and it's fine, but it makes me uncomfortable to watch this woman just, like, cheat on her husband who she's mad at for cheating on her with a guy who she broke up with for cheating on her you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i'm like maybe this is how adult life is because i'm not quite there yet i still feel like a kid (laughs) but fuck man that's some heavy shit and it made my stomach turn a little what about you (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it's a whole tornado of terrible that's a, it's a very apt way of putting it. Okay. I, I mean, just the whole third act. I, and that in the climax, where it's like, uh, Adam Sandler's stuck at home watching Redo with the kids, and Seth Rogen's on his way to the airport to stop. It's weird. You know, and it's like, oh, she's already, you know, gotten back with him by the time that, by the time he got there. It's like it felt very second drafty. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of this movie feels like second drafty. Mm-hmm. Like, we're a couple hard rewrites away. Like I'm saying, you can write both these movies with different characters, and right. like they're both good movies, mm-hmm. but just pick one. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that enough, because that is my only complaint. <laughs> the third act also, felt like... Go ahead, Katie. Oh, sorry. Um, before we get away from the subject of women, I'm sorry, I can hear myself echo in the background. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um, I wanted to discuss the groupies the group oh. <laughs> oh god damn it um again uh i will i will both reveal something about myself and then apologize for myself uh <laughs> but, great way to start a sentence but in 2009 context the idea of the idea of him like eating a popsicle and then banging the other groupie and coming back with a different colored popsicle <laughs> and stuff like, that, like <laughs> i thought was one of the funniest things i've ever seen and i know now it's not cool Mm. Uh, and I've learned, and I've grown as a person. It's a post-Whedon uh, world. Yeah, in a post-Whedon world, and a po- yeah. Well, we don't gotta go down that road. <laughs> but uh, my problem isn't with the popsicles. It's that it's the girls. Go ahead. But when the second groupie is telling him, like, "Sorry, no, I have a boyfriend." Yeah, John. The movie kind of dismisses that when she hooks up with Adam Sandler. Fuck me like so merman. The message the movie is giving <laughs> is that. Women just want to will only sleep with you if you have like fame. Yeah, that was that was problematic with this character and with the Aubrey Plaza character. Harkens back to him calling her a star fucker. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like she doesn't like Jason Schwartzman's character. It's like she's yeah, just she, having sex with him. Yeah, and it's like, what is it's, I, I, it's just a weird. I don't know what it, I don't know Seth what I was trying to say. Seth Rogen berating her outside, like after like minutes after she's just climaxed with Jason Schwartzman. Right. For like, like we're we're supposed to go to a Wilco show, and like you know what I mean. It's like, God damn, dude, this is weird. Like, I'm like, maybe it's like, I don't know, maybe these guys, these guys aren't the three roommates, Leo by Jonah Hill. Uh, I don't remember Jason Schwartzman's character's name off the top of my head, and then Seth Rogen. None of them are like particularly good guys, but more than that, they're not people you root for because it was like revealed in the movie that Jonah Hill's parents are paying his rent at this boo 
bougie motherfucking apartment in L.A. Mm-hmm. Jason Schwartzman, just some tool who made it on a shitty sitcom. And Seth Rogen's, like, not a good guy. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And George Simmons is not a good guy. There's, like, almost no... I mean, who is there? A, is there a character in this movie? And, like, it's not necessarily a problem to have irredeemable characters. It's not necessarily a problem to have, you know, anti-heroes. But... They're mostly anti and no hero. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. there's not much to root for. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, uh, you know, there was an, in- I was reading the trivia for this, and I guess Apatow drew a lot from The Great Gatsby for this narrative. Oh, that makes sense. Especially with Seth Rogen's character being kind of this, this spectator to being, George Simmons. Being Tobey Maguire. Exactly. It just, it, it's, I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's that much that, like, he's a bad person. If, you know, it's more like he just doesn't do a lot. You're he doesn't right. He doesn't do anything. You're right. And when he does with the Aubrey Plaza stuff, it's just like, oh, you're a shitty person. Yeah, you're not cool, man. <laughs> also, uh, I I don't know. I, Eminem's a pretty good good guy in this movie. Ray right? Romano. <laughs> I mean, what's Ray Romano doing? Eminem. <laughs> it, not something I love about the Eminem scene is not only is it fucking stellar, not only is it like really well written and well acted, but it also serves as a pivot point for the entire movie, which is cool. Like. The way you move into another act or like another like sequence was like that Eminem scene, and it's really fucking interesting <laughs> to me because like this movie is littered with celebrity cameos, which fit the bill considering your main character. Well, you know, your one of your main characters is a quote unquote celebrity, um, but I just think it's so funny that like how often do we forget that Eminem's a great actor? Yeah, man. Like <laughs> he's just good. His first performance in <laughs> who's, this mo- who's this motherfucker up here? Who, Ray Ray Romano? <laughs> I'm a f- I don't care who. I'm a fuck you up, Ray. Do you want to fuck me? I thought everybody loved you, man. <laughs> He's like, Ray. Hello, Marshall. <laughs> Ray Romano's pissing you off? The guy from Everybody Loves Raymond? Oh, man. Uh, Favorite celebrity cameo in this movie, Katie? You got one? Uh, Well, definitely Eminem, but like, I feel like the movie is too overstuffed with celebrity cameos. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I think that when they're used subtly, like Norm MacDonald... And yeah. like, uh, uh, like Andy Dick is a pretty funny one. Paul Reiser's uh, in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think when they're used kind of like subtly, they're all right. Um, but yeah, it does get a little much. And it's also because Apatow has, you know, made this signature brand of filmmaking where uh, he just keeps the camera rolling and he gets a million different funny takes. And it's like when you've got all those funny takes, it's hard to choose between them. So you just put them all in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go about it, but that's his brand. And I'm like, God damn it, this movie is nothing but an Apatow film. So yeah. take take it or love oh, it. And really quick, I wanted to mention this. So the one thing I have always remembered about this movie more than anything else is when they do the MTV stand-up slash concert thing. And... Seth Rogen asked James Taylor, oh. do you ever get tired of singing the same songs? Same songs? And he just zips back, do you ever get tired of talking about your dick? <laughs> I agree and will correct you, Katie. That was a MySpace event. Oh, man. Uh, as, oh, a, MySpace. A, as a sign of the time. I geeked you're out. Right, I was right. like, oh, man. Because, Tom and because stuff. <laughs> I was like, Tom's a decent actor, too. Yeah. Because uh, he's got that scene with Tom where he's like, so, do you, do you use MySpace? To George Simmons. <laughs> and George Simmons is like, no, nah, I fuck girls, Tom. And he's just like, though he's like, oh. And he's like, nods. I'm like, I wouldn't have been able to play that scene. Like, I would have laughed my ass off. So, so fun fact. 
That uh, James Taylor cameo was originally supposed to be Bruce Springsteen. Really? And I think it works a lot better with James Taylor saying, do you ever get tired of talking about your dick? Yeah, because it does. it's James Taylor. It's James, the <laughs> nicest guy. <laughs> this is America's sweetheart. But no, not but in a good way. Not in an unironic <laughs> way. No, in a good way. Continuous theme on Bad Movie Brent's The American Sweetheart. Yeah, the, but in a good way. <laughs> I've done a bad thing making that a negative thing. Oh, man. Um... Yeah, and so, I mean, let's talk about the third act, guys, and then we can kind of talk about some individual shit. We've kind of glossed over the plot. I feel like if people are listening to the show, they've watched the movie. This, we're not going to convince you to watch Funny People with us just randomly talking about different shreds of it and, like, <laughs> talking shit about it and stuff like that. This is a, as rambly as it gets, but we're Bad Movie Brunch. Where's your podcast, Robert? Oh, uh, by the way, Robert does have a podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's called Bonus Features with Alex and Robert. You it, can listen to it on yay! YouTube and shit. Yeah, and on SoundCloud. It's really good. Yes. Go listen to it. It's good. Uh, <laughs> cool plug. Um, <laughs> third act, Eric Bana and them, like, you know, he, like, beats the shit out of George Simmons. Like, beats the shit out of him. Like, I mean, how many times does he connect, like, fist to face? Like, five times? Mm-hmm. Like, fucks him up. <laughs> but, like, that scene for how hardcore it is is also really funny. Because <laughs> he's, like, chasing uh, Adam Sailor around the yard. No, don't go like, there. He's getting to the corner. <laughs> You're cornering yourself, George. <laughs> and he just, like, tries to run up and just gets, like, shoulder checked like a motherfucker. <laughs> Wait, he's like, what does he say? He's like, where's your? Oh God damn it! He's 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 so Australian. He's like, where's your where's your helmet and shoulder pads now, <laughs> Yankee? <laughs> like shit like that. Just like rubbing his head into his head. Oh my God! And then like George punches Seth Rogen. <laughs> like it's such a weird fight scene. And like that drive back to L.A. from like San Fran or whatever they are mm-hmm. is like, w- I think pretty good. Where like is basically like where we get the, the the title mentioned like you know hey c- bad career choice Ira comedy's for funny people you're not fucking funny mm. like you know what I mean Katie do you have a dog No <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. whose dog is that <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it <laughs> um, and so here's another weird thing about the third act. So George and, and, and Ira go their separate ways. And when he reemerges at the uh, at the improv, you know what I mean? Uh, his assistant is Randy. Like, uh, <laughs> it's uh, America's Sweetheart Aziz Ansari. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> from, like, we see earlier in the movie. And, like, if you know Aziz and follow his stand-up, like, that's, like, a character he went on with. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, the douchiest, most annoying, like, stand-up comedian that people would still probably love, in all honesty. Because people are sheep. And, um... <laughs> I think that's a weird plot point that he's now George's assistant. Like, George, Ira calls him out on it, but it's kind of true. George doesn't really learn anything. And, uh, and furthermore, Ira's working at the, at the, uh, at Otto's, Otto My Lattos. <laughs> uh, like, uh, and I'm like, Jake brought this up last night too. It's like, motherfucker, you were getting paid 1500 a week. And this is months later. You didn't save any money. <laughs> like, you were making thousands of dollars. What the fuck were you spending it on? You're still living on the couch and you're still working at the, like, fucking place. And other thing, what fucking deli in Los Angeles gives you health insurance? Because I'll work there right now. <laughs> like, I don't, I, in October, I don't have health insurance anymore. I'm going to fucking go work at Otto's fucking deli, delicatessen. Otto, <laughs> Otto, my, Otto's my lotto. Oh, man. Yeah, man. But it's weird. The 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 long pan out of like Adam Sandler finally like apologizing and is like I wrote some jokes for you. Like you know what I mean? That's a sweet moment and it's a really nice pan out, but here we are sitting with these characters that like you know, this movie is sort of like 
a vi- it's, I, I, I struggle to call it a snapshot because it's two and a half hours long. But it's a snapshot of a very specific time in all of these characters' lives that is like, hey, remember that one time we all fundamentally changed everybody's life but also learned nothing and became the same people at the end of it? Right. It's a weird lesson to learn because did anybody even learn a lesson? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Katie? Yeah, I'm not sure anybody really changed. Like I think the- maybe Ira became more wary about what it means to be a famous comedian. Sure. And he did become a better comedian throughout the flick. So there's that he there's did. that progression. I mean, I think also George and uh Leslie Mann's character realize that oh there's nothing there and like you know before that door was kind of open because you know what could have been and now we know for sure fuck we are really not meant for each other Mm -hmm. they may never Mm -hmm. talk again you know what i mean like there's and that's sad but like that's the problem also is like a lot of these like really like deep things that i'm trying to scrape out of this movie are all like uh subtextual we don't see it it's like oh that's the other movie (laughs) you know what i mean it didn't dig deep enough for me and i I, watching that scene where they're at the deli and they're trading jokes i'm like i couldn't help but feel like this should have been Seth Rogen playing that really sad Warren Zevon song mm-hmm. at Adam Sandler's funeral. Oh God! Like this oh, should yeah. have this should have been more of a of a emotional piece instead of what I think Katie very aptly put is like it's just very hollow. It feels like at the end, especially with the sour taste of that kind of messy third act. Hollow as you may call it, this is the fucking best hollow movie I've ever seen. Because like it pound for glimmers, pound, man. pound for pound, I I'll I'll never stop watching it. Like I mean I'm I'm entertained. Like take any ten minutes out of that movie, I'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But that's also says a lot about it too. Right. It's like it's hard to sit for two and a half hours. Or if you watch the extended unrated cut, which is like <laughs> it's like the Snyder cut like, of what? funny people. It's like Dune. I think it's like 245 because honestly, <laughs> I think, yeah, it's like Dune, the Snyder cut of, uh, release oh, the God. Snyder cut of funny people. Uh, oh, Universal released. Does, he, does no. Adam Sandler fight parademons in that one? Nah, oh. well, yeah, well, there's a, there's a thing at like the hour and 10 mark where he wakes up from a nightmare and uh, he's wearing a duster uh, and like goggles <laughs> and there's like doomsday logo in the sand. And he's like trying oh, to make good, a deal for good. kryptonite. Yeah, it's whole thing. But he gets duped, and it's just like a box of green light. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's. All right, now we're talking about Batman v Superman. Donna just yes, V two. Oh, I would. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the look of the movie. It's gorgeous. Okay. This is the best looking movie he's ever made. I, I, I and I think it's for good reason. Robert, you got a little uh, insight on that. It's not even close. Like the just the opening shots of like Sandler walking around like his patio, his terrace, and like all the exteriors. I'm like, what the hell? Like who directed this? Right. It looks nothing like his other shit. Right. It looks beautiful, breathtaking. But again, did it make the movie? I like this movie a lot, so it kind of made it. I, but I think at times it does. <laughs> Who's the cinematographer? It's Spielberg's boy, right? Do you know the uh, name? Is it, I think it's Janusz Kaminski. Okay. And that's like, he shot all the big Spielberg shit, right? Mm-hmm. Interestingly, shot Munich, also starring Eric oh, Bana. Oh, Munich. <laughs> I, always took, I always took Eric Bana being in this movie as a nod to the joke they make in Knocked Up. Right. Uh, where they're like at the bar and they're like, you know what I just watched the other night, which is fucking mind-blowing that I hadn't seen it in so long? Munich. And they're like, oh, Munich. <laughs> like it, Eric Bana is like in, in that movie and like he's like a Jew's like flipping it on its ear. He's killing motherfuckers. Not just like capping, but like taking names. <laughs> if any of us get laid tonight, it's because of Eric Bana and Munich. <laughs> Oh, man. So I always took that as a reference. Eric Bana, in this movie, do you like him more in this or as the Incredible Hulk? Oh, man. 
I don't know. I think the Incredible Hulk or uh, Hulk. 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 Ang Lee's Hulk. It's such a weird movie. You know, oh, we'll go down that road. Yeah, we'll go down that road. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a pretty movie. I don't know how we got to Eric Bana. Uh, oh, Munich. Yeah, Munich. <laughs> Maybe because he's a pretty man. He is gorgeous. He doesn't get nearly enough what a, work. What a stupid game. This is stupid. <laughs> Cameron Diaz, fuck. What was the movie the one where she had the bloody spuff in her hair? <laughs> There's something about Mary. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Big uh. fucker. Pass it off to a little fucker. Oh, I hate that fucker. <laughs> Oh, man. They made him keep his Australian accent so he could improvise better. That's cool. That's good stuff. Katie, uh, another thing, if we're talking like screenwriter, we all we all have MFAs in screenwriting. What do you think of uh, the, the montages? Because they are a fuckload. I mean... They're pretty. It's whatever. <laughs> I, if it saves time, then fine. If it saves time... If it somehow lessens the movie... <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I'm sorry I put you through watching this excellent movie. <laughs> but fuck, I'll try not to do it again. We'll watch Leap again. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Luke, this episode doesn't have as many dead baby jokes as that You're right. episode. You're right. I didn't make as many abortion jokes this time. Or Statue of Liberty jokes. No, no. <laughs> uh, I don't want to. Which is 1886. <laughs> no, no. Good. I didn't remember. Uh. Um,. Uh, so I think it looks pretty. I think the montages, um, it's kind of another thing where I'm like, if you're, uh, Apatow is kind of at his peak, I think, in this movie, uh, in terms of, like, mm-hmm. studio pole and stuff like that. Like, this dude, I like, was really throwing, like, a lot of movies out at this time, and so, like, he kind of could get away with whatever he wanted, I feel like. I mean, this movie was not cheap. I don't know, I don't have the budget offhand, but I'm sure it's expensive just based on, like, the people in it and based on like it's all of the ex- Jesus Christ <laughs> comedy uh, remember in context Ish. of our other favorite filmmakers Kevin Smith's most expensive film was 20 million for Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back <laughs> that was more expensive than Cop Out oh fuck I never even think about Cop Out oh, probably shit. not but oh, I don't damn. even consider that a yeah. Kevin Smith <laughs> you're not the only one uh, yeah Bruce <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> roasted him uh, <laughs> Uh, I, but I think that some of the montages are really cool and effective. Like the montages of people doing different stand-up. The montage at the 50-minute mark where uh, we're at the midpoint and George is about to be cured, but he's singing the, like the song is really good. Like the whole like the fuck George Simmons, he has a medium-sized penis. <laughs> like that like whole thing. Like it was like really sad. And if that if that part's hollow to you, Katie, the show's canceled. But, yeah, I did think it was hollow. No, and it made it's me so feel good. deeply uncomfortable. Like I didn't connect with it at all. I literally it's... don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> oh, I know. Man. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't want to be here for this. Oh, <laughs> Robert, no. hit the fucking bricks. We're about to have it out. Oh, Robbie, what did you think of the montages? Uh, I th- again, I thought some of them worked, some of them didn't. Again, the montage towards the end, where it's like. I want to make a montage of my daughters playing around with my wife and Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler, one of my closest friends. It's like, all right, I get it. I thought a lot of them were, again, the ones that steered into that skit of, like, this comedian uh, reconciling with his life and his mortality and, like, the shitty, you know, choices he's made, that music, I I thought it was good. What was the one where he was, like, having a jam session? Oh, I don't know who that band was. They had to be I, important. I don't I'm, know I'm not a big, either. Judd is a big music guy, mm-hmm. as evidenced by, like, you know, Paul Rudd being, like, a music critic and, like, uh, not critic, but, like, producer and shit in the Knocked Up, This Is 40, Hopefully One Day trilogy. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. But, like, there is tons of music in this movie, like, expensive music. I was fine there with the montage. one thing I really liked with that band. Mm-hmm. What's that? 
where at the end when they're like, your time's almost up, and he's like, I wish I was friends with you guys so I didn't have to pay you or something like that. <laughs> yeah, not so hollow now, is it? I thought that was deeply sad. I, I stand by my hollow comment, but that was a deeply sad line. I agree, though. I wanted more of that. I wanted no. more. Yeah. I, I would have wanted, I would have been okay with the hedonism and the self-indulgence, uh, you know, if it paid off in a more emotional way, and it just didn't. Three more things I want to ask you about because we got to wrap up soon. What do you guys think about the peanut butter game? Funny. Where they put peanut butter on themselves and have the dogs running and lick it off. I think it's fucking bizarre. The small dog, larger dog comes out for Adam Sandler joke. It's funny. I mean, okay. And yeah. then, uh, like, here's another thing, like, I'll say that, like, and this is something, like, again, that is ne- not necessarily a, a great comment, but if you take any 10-minute chunk of this movie, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there are bits where these guys are just funny fucking people. So, like, while it doesn't serve the narrative, they're just funny shit. When they're, like, hiking up in, like, the Hollywood Hills and stuff, and, like, Jason Schwartzman's telling that t- a story about, like, his grandfather dying. <laughs> He's like, and like, right when he died, the candle went out, and they're like, "I don't think you passed through fire to go to heaven. I, I think your grandfather went to hell." And he's like, "Are you serious? Are you guys really gonna make fun of me after I opened up to you right there?" Hey, I'm, I'm sorry too. I mean, some grandfathers go to hell. It's not Leo, man. <laughs> I thought, I thought yeah, that, that landed. That I thought that good. shit was unbelievable. Why don't you tell Leo yourself? Because Leo's been surveilling this entire conversation. <laughs> I used to do that one a lot too. I, th- I think I'm gonna forgive him today. It is. <laughs> forgive you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. And I had one last thing. Uh, here's my final comment. And this is something I've always truly believed. And I think it's one of the reasons I gravitate toward Judd um, so much is he's unabashedly funny. He sticks to his guns for better or worse. And I think this guy does indie movies for studios. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that he has really uh, cool ideas. Um, that while they play to a larger audience, the fact that the matter is, once you even get in 40-Year-Old Virgin, that movie gets a lot realer, realer than advertised. Mm-hmm. Knocked Up gets a lot realer than advertised. Funny People doesn't get as real as Katie would like it to, but it, 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 it is a very real movie. And this is 40 even. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those movies deal with real shit. So he's got a flavor, man, and it's not everybody's flavor. It doesn't necessarily, like... Uh, capitalize on it in this movie because it you know it's a mishmash script and a two and a half hour long dramedy and there's eight acts to it and mm-hmm. like you know what i mean but for better or worse i love jed apatow and i love his his take on cinema i love him as a writer i love him as a director i think he's doing the lord's work <laughs> any final thoughts strawberry i really appreciate that that's what you took from this film <laughs> <laughs> and I, love it. I know that sounds dickish, but I genuinely mean it. I like, we don't always have to agree on we the don't. movies that's that we true. like. We often don't. Even the bad movies. Yeah. Right. One day we'll one day we'll do a hoodwinked episode and we'll get in a fist oh, fight from, oh, from across the Really? I was surprised you didn't say um what is it, the Heartbreak Kid. Uh Heartbreak Kid does not age super well. <laughs> uh I do I think it's fantastic and funny? Oh yeah. But uh I won't fight for it like I will for funny people. Mm-hmm. Um all right. Well, Another one in the books, everybody. I do want to take one more time to, to say, listen to Robert's podcast, Bonus Features with Alex and Robert. It's very long, like funny people. <laughs> it's kind of the funny people of film podcast. It is the funny people <laughs> of Because they go podcast. for like two and a half hours. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's anything but hollow, I'll tell you that. And uh, these guys are really funny. They talk about uh, movies. They talk about comics. Their takes on Spider-Man especially is like, just gets me... <laughs> gets me going oh, thank you uh, i want to bring robert and alex back uh in the future to talk about the amazing spider-man verse like one and two uh, so hopefully we, d- we get that in the work soon um and we will you know do it guys Kay- thank you for the time oh dude thank you thanks thank for, you for being here thanks oh, for watching man. the movie for me guys 
Sorry, <laughs> sorry, it sucked. <laughs> you know what? My tomato, my tomato score is a hundred and fucking ten percent for funny people. I'm gonna go home and watch it again with the commentary. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, I man. haven't seen it. It's like it what, came out. So it's it like interesting to revisit. Good. Yeah, it's like what Katie said in an earlier episode. Hey, man, if if you like something and no one's getting hurt, yep. What the fuck, do I care? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, love you both so much. Signing off. I've been Luke Taylor. I've been Katie Gorsuch. And I've been Robert Riley. Have a good one, folks. Yeah. Woo! Funny people forever. <laughs> <laughs>